This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, October 4th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Telluride to Lyft cap on short-term rentals. Town grants society turn the wastewater hookup. The cycles of mass movement. And a mountain weather forecast. Telluride is lifting its cap on short-term rentals. In 2021, Telluride voters passed Ballot Measure 2D. The initiative doubled the fees on short-term rental business licenses and placed a two-year moratorium on issuing new licenses so the town could study the impact of short-term rentals on the community. After months of data analysis and input from the public, Telluride Town Council decided at a meeting on Tuesday to let 2D sunset and implement a number of new regulations and fees on short-term rentals. Under the new regulations, there will be three categories for short-term rental licenses. Classic STR licenses with no limit on rental nights, residential STR licenses, and limited STR licenses, both limited to a cumulative 29 short-term rental nights per year. The new regulations will also limit any one person or entity from owning more than two short-term rental licenses, allowing those who already own more than two to maintain those licenses, and add a $288 administrative fee for all STR licenses. Business license fees will revert back to pre-2D amounts. There will also be a lodging license and a mid- and long-term rental license for the purpose of data collection. Lodging will pay its current business license fee. Mid- and long-term will not pay a fee. But the majority of discussion at town council this week surrounded adding a regulatory fee to short-term rentals in order to raise money for affordable housing. Telluride Town Attorney Kevin Geiger explains. Which is passed under your inherent authority using your police power to maintain the general welfare, peace, the safety of your inhabitants, and looking at the impact of a certain activity and how it relates to the community. The standard is that they're, that the, the rate payers, the fee payers, are likely to benefit. Not that they directly benefit, but they're likely to benefit by you, the town, building affordable housing or taking steps to increase your affordable housing funds. The regulatory fee would only apply to classic STR licenses that don't have a cap on rental nights. During public comment, the majority of comment, including Lee Zeller, didn't want to see a regulatory fee. If it's a regulatory fee, it has to have a direct benefit back to the people who are going to pay it, and that is the second homeowners. And I haven't seen what their direct benefit is from this fee. Um, Is it a happier server the two weeks that they're here? I don't know if you can make a argument about the direct benefit to the person who is paying it, the second homeowner. Council members Lars Carlson and Jesse Ray Arguez are also against the fee. Here's Carlson. Why are we trying to tack on this huge regulatory fee on just short-term rental licenses? It doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it's equitable. I, I think we'd be much better off waiting and either coming up with an excise tax or a sales tax that is equally distributed across the entire town. But council member Geneva Shawnette believes if council continues to push the conversation out, they'll continue to get pushback from members of the community. Three weeks ago, the cap was the big, big, scary issue that they wanted to talk us out of or to change. And they've 
succeeded on that. And now we're talking about regulatory fees. And if they stop us here, then we're going to get to next year for the excise tax and they're going to try and stop us there. Mayor Pro Tem Mian Fee believes an excise tax is the most equitable way to raise funds for affordable housing, but an excise tax would need to be approved by voters and couldn't get on the ballot until 2024. So for the time being, she supports implementing a regulatory fee. And I'm not comfortable simply waiting till next year to hope that a tax gets passed. And so from my perspective, I would like to see some sort of a fee put in place for this year prior to bringing the vote on an excise tax to the community, to the citizens of Telluride. Council member Dan Enright is still against lifting the cap on short-term rentals, but would consider voting for a regulatory fee if it was a high enough amount. Any mitigation fee that I'm voting yes to is a compromise no matter what. And I am 100% compromising by saying even 40%. In the first vote to implement a fee at 35%, council was split 3-3 and the vote failed. So after over three hours of discussion this week, adding on to countless hours over the past several months, Councilmember Enright proposed a motion to implement a regulatory fee on classic short-term rentals at 40%, or $857 per bedroom per year, in addition to the business license and admin fee. I have a motion from Dan, a second from Geneva. How do you vote? Dan, yes. Geneva, yes. Large no. Jesse Ray, no. Adrian, yes. Me and yes. Motion passes. In a four to two vote, council passed new regulations on short term rentals on a first reading. Town council will vote on the regulations on second reading on Tuesday, October 24th. The cap on short term rental licenses in Telluride will sunset in November. Any property served by Telluride's wastewater treatment plant must be located in or annexed into the town unless the Planning and Zoning Commission and the Town Council both vote to make an exception. This week, Telluride Town Council considered such a rare arrangement for a project being proposed by Genesee Properties, which is planning a major development southwest of the Society Turn Roundabout. Town manager Scott Robson recalls conversations go back years. The town and Genesee properties have been discussing the provision of water and sewer service for the society turn development plan since about 2017. In May, the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners gave their seal of approval for the development, which will include a hotel, deed-restricted housing, commercial space, and a chunk of land granted to the Telluride Hospital District for a new facility. Now it's up to town council to approve access to the wastewater treatment system. And granting access, town can add various conditions, says town attorney Kevin Geiger. Some of those conditions that have been put in following feedback and discussion with town council, no big box stores, those are retail stores defined as in excess of 8,000 square feet. There's a brewery limitation in there, and that's mainly due to the fact that the existing infrastructure at the wastewater treatment plant It has a hard time handling the effluent from a brewery. Another condition requires that all housing in the development be deed restricted. A final and major part of the agreement between Genesee and the town of Telluride would ensure a future for Telluride's wastewater capacity. Town's existing plant is seriously overextended and in need of immediate upgrades. It's located next to the Society Turn development. 
In exchange for access to water, Genesee Properties will offer, Robson says. The 1.5 acres that they uh, were proposing to donate to the uh, town or transfer to the town for purposes of wastewater treatment plant expansion. Despite the years of negotiations and a significant application process before the county, Councilmember Geneva Shawnette points out this is the first time the project has come before town council in a public setting. And we're going to vote to add a huge area of uh, water and wastewater service square footage to the community without getting any public input feels a little weird. And what we have been asked by the community is to give more time for big decisions to, to get public feedback. On top of that, Councilmember Adrian Christie feels it's a major move to extend utility access without annexing the property into the town. We as the town are extending theoretically water rights to a piece of property who did not want to be annexed into the town because of tax and other oversight. And therefore, the town is then losing out on that potential sales tax revenue. Mayor Pro Tem Mian Fee says the reason the plan was able to go forward is the possibility of a new medical center facility. Giving up the idea of annexing this parcel of land into the town of Telluride was a concession in order to gain something that we felt that we prioritized further, which is the development and build out of a medical center that is fully functioning and able to serve the community. So what would happen, some council members asked, if the plans for a new hospital fell through? Tom Kennedy, part of the development team at Genesee Properties, explains. If for some reason the medical center is not able to, to come in fruition, then it would be conveyed to the county. And I would imagine there'd be other public uses, housing or various things like that that would be considered. Even if no hospital went up, the developers would still retain access to Telluride's wastewater. Thus, council members felt they were forced to gamble, granting access in the good faith that the hospital plans would work out. Such an outcome is highly likely, but by no means certain. Despite reservations about the short timeline and the lack of annexation, council voted to extend water access to the Genesee development. All voted in favor, except Adrian Christie, who opposed. The issue will appear at Council's October 24th meeting for a second and final vote. In the cavernous main stage of the Palm Theater, dancers glide across the floor, bathed in calm light. This week, the Telluride Dance Collective will perform its annual Mass Movement show. This year, the theme is Cycles. I think the, the overarching theme has been really exciting to be working with Cycles. And, you know, there's so many, it, it, it feels like such a big theme, you know, it could go in so many directions. And then how there's these like meta themes within it. So if you think of cycles, we have cycles within cycles. Kelsey Trottier is the executive and artistic director of the Dance Collective. So this year is a little bit different. So instead of just having a main stage piece at the Palm, we're using uh, a variety of different spaces within the Palm Arts Complex. <laughs> Thank you.
Dancers move through the air with grace, collapsing into movements on the floor, breathing a new life into the music. This year's exciting because we worked with uh, Travis Fisher, who's a local musician, and he and I worked together to curate these sound scores. And so we're using some pre-existing music and blending things together. And then we've also created some uh, more like soundscapes and things that feel like more of like they're filling up space. Trottier says mass movement is about bringing together the local dance community choreographers, professional dancers, and movers who have never been on stage before. This performance has 20 local performers. At the heart, Trottier says she hopes the performance will make the audience feel something, anything, she says is fine. I think what's nice about dance is that it is uh, subjective and you will take away whatever, like, whatever you relate to. Um, and I think that that's what draws me into that medium and I think a lot of others who are involved in the show. She says it's an opportunity for true human expression. Dance is a powerful medium because it's we're using the body as a medium of art and it's something that we can all relate to. We all have a body, we all have a nervous system, we all move through these shared experiences that we have. The Telluride Dance Collective's mass movement performance of Cycles will take place on Thursday, October 5th and Friday, October 6th at 7 p.m. at the Palm Theatre. Tickets are available at telluridepalm.com. On Thursday, the Original Thinkers Festival takes over Telluride Arts with a weekend of provocative programming. Come Sunday, the festival will roll out to Camp V in Natarita, where the ideas and festivities continue through Tuesday, October 10th. While full festival passes are more or less scooped up, festival founder David Holbrook says when it comes to individual events. We could have space available, and if we do, we'd love to sell tickets and passes at the door. What we're going to be doing is offering day passes for each of our individual days here in Telluride. But if you're like, I just want to come to that movie, I just want to come to that talk, we've got that option too. Some of those programs you might like to see? In addition to the usual crop of documentaries, the festival will feature talks from Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold and war correspondent Jane Ferguson, conversations on psychedelic therapies, and a healer happy hour at Bruno Cafe this Friday at 7.30 p.m. In the long scope of his programming career, Holbrook has put together some 23 festivals. And this one is unprecedented for me because it's really digging and diving into healing in a big way. And I think healing is certainly our bodies, but also our healthcare system, also looking trying to heal our democracy, journalism. During the festival, Holbrook will open up about his own journey as he's joined in conversation with the healer Lisa, who runs The Garden, a healing center in Venice Beach, California. For full details on this year's intimate and extra special event, visit OriginalThinkers.com or stop by the Telluride Arts HQ. The streets of Telluride are getting some TLC before the coming winter. 
The town is performing milling, patching, and paving operations at various locations around town, beginning on Thursday, October 5th. The work is concentrated on the west end of town, including portions of North and South Davis Street, West Colorado Avenue, and North Townsend Street, near the elementary school. A section of Oak Street and Pine Street will also get an upgrade. Work on Thursday will involve milling. Paving operations will follow on Monday the 9th until all road sections are patched and complete. Through the duration of the work, public road access and parking will be interrupted at those locations. Expect limited lane space and intermittent closures. About 3,000 Kaiser Permanente employees in Colorado walked off the job on strike on Wednesday. The healthcare giant's management has yet to reach a deal with employees after months of negotiation. The union is demanding better pay and help with staffing shortages. Proposals from management over the weekend included a 3.5% raise. That was rejected. The union is sticking to its demand for a four-year contract starting with a 6.5% raise. Kaiser has 33 locations across the state. Kaiser workers across the country are striking as well in what is expected to be a three-day walkout. History Colorado released a review this week of historic Native American boarding schools in the state. As Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, the comprehensive review has new information about the Native American children who died at some of those schools. The report outlines systematic abuse, negligence, and criminal behavior of top administrators at federal Indian boarding schools in the state. And it offers detailed histories of the Fort Lewis boarding school near Durango and the Teller Institute in Grand Junction. Through archival research and geophysical examination of boarding school grounds, the study attempts to piece together the number of students who died at these schools. Many of them were never returned to their families and were buried on school grounds. The authors conclude there are an estimated 46 children buried at the Old Fort Lewis Cemetery, which far exceeds the number of deceased students listed in federal reports during the time these schools were active. It's unclear whether all of those children were students at the school. The report also says that at least 36 students died at the boarding school in Grand Junction, but it does not indicate how many students may have been buried there. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Transportation Safety Board is investigating the cause of a plane crash that killed a North Dakota state senator and his family outside of Moab, Utah. KZMU's Molly Marcello reports. State Senator Douglas Larson was piloting a single-engine Piper aircraft Sunday evening when the plane crashed shortly after takeoff in a remote area bordering Moab's airport. His wife Amy and two youngest children were passengers. A single-engine airplane impacted terrain under nighttime conditions. Sadly, the four occupants sustained fatal injuries. Fabian Salazar, air safety investigator with the NTSB, Friends and colleagues say the family was stopping in Moab to refuel after a trip to Scottsdale, Arizona. We have information that tells us that the uh, the occupants uh, landed at Canyonlands, got into a car, went into town, came back from town, um, and at some point did uh, take on fuel and then departed. 
Air safety investigator Salazar says they will be looking at a number of factors to determine what caused the crash. Uh, the NTSB, uh, we look at three big areas. That's the man, the machine, and the environment. So we'll, uh, we'll examine the pilot's history, how long he's been flying, the hours that he's accumulated, his experience. We'll look at the aircraft, the maintenance history of the aircraft, and we'll also look at the weather. Larson was elected to the North Dakota Senate in 2020. After his death, colleagues draped a bouquet of roses above his nameplate in North Dakota's Senate chamber. I'm Molly Marcello. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low around 35 degrees. Thursday, expect sun with a high in the mid-60s and a gentle wind. Thursday night should be clear with a low around 35. Sunny skies return on Friday with a high near 65 degrees, followed by a clear night with a low in the mid-30s. This has been the news for Wednesday, October 4th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hey, this is Teresa at the Telluride Historical Museum with your Miner's Minute. Autumn is here, and it's one of our favorite times to enjoy our historic town. Fall features our last programming push until we close down for the off-season. So if you've always wanted to join us for a Lone Tree Cemetery tour, now is your chance. Our last daytime cemetery tour takes place on October 6th at 1 p.m. Tickets are $15, and pre-registration is encouraged. Or, if you'd prefer to experience Lone Tree by Lamplight, our weekly evening tours begin on October 13th. The Lamplight tours do sell out, though, and we require a pre-registration, so give us a call if you're interested in snagging a spot. Our fireside chat series at the Madeline Hotel concludes Wednesday on October 4th at 6 p.m. as we host Steve Gumbel for an evening of stories and history exploring his role in Telluride's festival culture. This chat is free and open to the public. Also, don't forget that the final historical walking tour of the season with Ashley Bowling takes place on October 12th. Looking ahead to the end of the month, while we have closed the book on our haunted hospital event, the museum will still be the place to be on Halloween. If you have kiddos who are of trick-or-treating age, we hope we'll see you for our Halloween on the Hill event on October 31st. The evening will feature trick-or-treating and traditional Halloween games from 5 to 7 p.m. on North First Street. Then, if you have older kids or you're looking for a unique event for All Hallows' Eve, the Night of the Telluride Undead, a scary town-wide scavenger hunt, is the perfect fun Halloween activity. See if you can survive a haunted town of Telluride while piecing together clues in a race against time and unnatural forces to win the grand prize and glory. Some folks may remember that we kicked off this event two years ago during COVID. So the undead hunt begins at 6.30 p.m. at the museum. There are prizes for the winners and teams should sign up in advance on our website. These Halloween events are only possible with the help of our volunteers. So if you'd rather do the scaring than be scared, email me at Teresa at TellurideMuseum.org, T-H-E-R-E-S-A at TellurideMuseum.org to sign up. And as winter approaches, don't forget to take advantage of Locals Free Day on Saturdays and visit us before we close for off-season at Day's End on October 14th. Thanks, Kodo. You're a rare medium. Well done. Attention families with children age 0 to 5. 
Bright Futures and Wilkinson Public Library are hosting free parenting workshops this school year. Our first workshop will take place on Thursday, October 5th from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. at the library. Local banking and insurance industry insider Ryan Markey will be discussing family financial planning. Dinner, childcare, and Spanish interpretation will be provided. All families are welcome. See you on October 5th. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.